0: By this time, I had written uh, a very long script. Came to the reality that I was gonna have to cut this into three pieces. The Force is the core of Star Wars and you have to be careful when you answer too many questions about it. And Concept
1: design, I think, is so critical. I mean, it's something that perhaps is underappreciated because it sets the template, it sets the aspirational goal for what the movie should be. So this is a, 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 an excellent opportunity to, to welcome everyone to, to to this world that we're going to be exploring. Um, my name is Ken Bishop. I've been a Star Wars fan for as long as I can remember. I was born in 75, so there are very few memories, early memories that I have that aren't involved in Star Wars in, in some way, shape, or form. And the the main purpose for us getting together is to really talk about the magic behind the stuff that showed up on screen in Star Wars, the the people that were involved in creating that magic, the the material that inspired those creators, and then talking through from our our perspective of what those things mean to us as individuals. So I'll I'll let you guys introduce yourself and and say what it is that you enjoy so much about uh, this this very topic of, of, of Star Wars.
2: Oh. I'll just say that, you know, this is obviously the the continuation of the Thank The Makers podcast. We're changing the name because we think that this name, the new name, which is Behind the Forces, oh no, the Forces Behind Star Wars podcast, better reflects what we're trying to do with the podcast, which is to teach you a little bit about uh, the history of Star Wars from the people perspective. Uh, Demetrius and I learn, along with the rest of you guys, when we're talking to Ken, Uh, about what these things are so to us it's a lot of fun to be part of this Um, so we we felt that the name change better reflected what we're trying to do Uh, and we uh, the the logo looks cool and I think what we're we're also trying to a couple of changes that are coming to the podcast which is we're trying to get more uh, more involvement with the uh, other people so listeners outside and um, we're trying to open up topics that talk about philosophies about Star Wars and some of the inspirations behind Star Wars as opposed to being like other podcasts which I enjoy listening to I just don't want to be another one where we're reacting to what we're seeing and, and having uh, you know what could the story have been like those are great podcasts I listen to them I think there's a lot of them so we found in you know Ken uh, Ken Bishop someone who is a real Star Wars expert and we're going to exploit this all the way into podcast he's a
0: genius uh history genius
2: yeah oh i'm anthony god and this is demetrius romanos
0: thank you anthony so i was the late joiner and i too was born in the 70s and i feel like star wars has been a part of my life since the beginning and i truly hope like a family member it lasts with me forever um i admit you know i originally came on to be sort of a a voice about design right like as a designer myself, product designer, it was very inspiring, both from the physical output of what we saw on screen, but even more so like, I was just immersed in those art of Star Wars books. Like I wanna know how to draw like that, how they come up with this crazy stuff. Like I never could even comprehend it. And then, you know, Anthony and I had the luxury of being able to work in the toy industry and work with some of these people that actually created some of the first toys. And so that in itself, was amazing. To meet Ralph McQuarrie was amazing. And then to join this podcast, for me, was an absolute honor. First off, because you've got again, not to overly indulge Ken with praise, but like someone that's truly <laughs> gifted with knowledge. My memory sucks. You'll know that because I'll talk about the same stuff in every episode. But Ken knows <laughs> things. I and mean, He can give you background in ways that oh only God. like Lucas and Filoni themselves can do. So, yeah. I love the play on words that we've got with forces behind Star Wars, because it is obviously about the force, but it's more about those people that impacted it, right? So just like the force can move rocks and lift people and get rid of, you know, stuff like that, Wookiees and Adats and who knows what, this is really about understanding what created those things, what, what came out of people's imaginations to shape these things, and then how do they live on? Right? How are we still seeing things like the Mandalorian or this crazy book that Anthony keeps going on and on about that like are taking this world that didn't really exist and yet we believe it like it really was and it just kept going on and on. It, it's fantastic. So this is sort of a reset. I'm excited about the things that we're going to be talking about. We'll still continue on with the movies. You know, we, we stopped. I don't know. Can you tell us where we stopped? I don't even remember because the holiday break was just too relaxing. But we'll pick up and we'll keep looking through the movies and then see where this takes us.
1: Well, to, to, to pick up on that, uh, we we ended in the middle of the infamous holiday special. So that's where we're...
2: Oh how we, can I forget?
1: Where we... We have to we s-
2: save some of it for 2021, <laughs> I suppose. Yes.
1: Yes, we, do. we definitely need to, to, to finish up that. I don't, I don't know if it's the second
2: half, but the, 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 the last part of it, that's for sure. They only did the one holiday special back then, so we have to break it up into different parts and make it last long. Because
1: it's, 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 it's also a lot to take in, that is for it's sure. something. The infamous holiday special. One question I have for, for both of you, because you know, the world now knows that we've been Star Wars fans for a really long time, And picking up on our play of words, the forces behind it, behind Star Wars, what do you think are some of the themes or some of the approaches to Star Wars that have stayed true from the 70s when George Lucas sat down and started writing this all the way up into what um, Charles Sowell's doing with the book and Dave Filoni and Jon Favreau are doing with The Mandalorian? What are some of those things that have maintained consistency throughout the entire Star Wars history?
2: I think that I'm always surprised to hear that the used universe was something new back then because we, we grew up, n- that was normal to us to watch science fiction that looked like it was part of the real world. And the idea that the universe presented as something that had existed and was almost mundane to the people that lived there Um, I think is something that is carrying through with the Mandalorian. Um, To some extent, it surprises me that that wasn't the case before. Um, But I think those are the kind of things that most people don't realize. And I didn't realize that a lot of these things were new and introduced to the time that there wasn't something that, that was a standard science fiction trope, you know? So that's one thing.
1: And that's a phrase that we're going to say again and again and again throughout all these episodes that idea the word, of that, trope? You, that trope and lived in universe or used universe I mean this idea of what you see on screen even though it's fantastic whether it's an X-Wing or a, a land speeder or a, a moisture evaporator or a moisture uh, collector um, it looks like it could legit work today in, in here on planet Earth but they built it, they designed it, they, they, they put it on screen, and it looked real. Like it had a, a purpose, and every knob did something, every, every bolt had a purpose.
0: I think that's what's kind of the most genius thing about it, were those very, very first words on screen. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, right? There's something about it being a long time ago that makes it a little bit more relatable. And there's something about the fact that it's in what seems futuristic, that feels fantastic, like Ken said. So like, there's yeah, there's something where you feel like you're in it. it. Doesn't feel so, out of the realm of possibility that you could actually be there and go there, even though it's it's absolutely, like out of this world, literally and figuratively. Um, there's just an there's such a magic to that. And I think Filoni actually put it really well. It's it's, it's about the stories of family and these people, which is really kind of a timeless sort of thing. And you could take the context and put them in as cavemen or in, in space, and it still would kind of be the same, but how they brought that world to life um, in such a way that like visually kind of was so appealing uh, to me is just, it'll never be done again. Well, it's a design but it's also, we're going back to the lived-in
2: universe. For Christmas, my son, my 13-year-old son got the, the Eagle from 19 Space 1999. Remember that show? Absolutely. I still have my yeah. little Eagle, little matchbox. Which doll. I think was designed, I think it was designed by one of the Star Wars designers, uh, uh, Ron Johnson, or I, I, I think it was a Star Wars designer to design the Eagle. But regardless... We got the model, he got it for Christmas. And when you open it up, you know, he he's never seen a real model before. Like we had back in the eighties and seventies. So it's the model pieces, but they all look brand new and the Eagle doesn't look brand new. So he said, like, "What? what are we going to do? It's like, it doesn't really, you know, I said, well, first we're going to buy the cement because that's how you put these models together. He's like, cement, but when we put it together, we're going to then buy this paint and we're going to do this. and We're going to scuff it up and make it look old. And that's when it's going to look like a real spaceship, you know? So I think it's it's just an odd idea that that wasn't something that anyone thought of before. <laughs> because we only know that expression of, of course it looks used. It's, it's used every day. Um, but my son is learning how to, we're going to put those weathering effects on it. And it's going to be pretty cool. We Lord lived in the universe. That-
1: going to the model idea they also took when they were designing those spaceships for for star wars they took a piece from that model kit and a piece from that model kit and slapped it all together and the phrase Mm -hmm. that they they often use is is kit bashing you know so it's taking little bits and pieces from all these different kits and bashing them together in a way that makes sense we did lots and lots of that yeah and whether you're talking about colin Cantwell who who, who worked on the, the the X-wing and and the the first land speeder design that ended up not being chosen um, to the to the folks today? I mean, they built a, a model of the Razor Crest and filmed it and scanned it and used that in in The Mandalorian in in 2019. So they're using the same techniques, the same idea of of kit bashing and, and creating something, and it looks amazing on screen.
0: And so one of these techniques I actually learned from a guy that Anthony and I both work with named Wayne Losey and so you're going to want to introduce your son to this, but the trick with kit bashing is once you put all that stuff together you paint it with a flat black spray paint and then you take silver rub and buff, that's my my product plug go to Michael's Arts and Crafts and you get silver rub and buff and you put it on an old t-shirt and you just wipe it on everything and then everything that's in a like deep area stays black everything above it stays this kind of pewtery silver and it gives it that aged look that's amazing that's how they did a lot of that stuff in the old movies that's how we did it in the toys to kind of communicate what we were trying to do to the people that were actually going to manufacture these things but uh anyway little little it sounds, uh, sounds like a lot of
2: sounds like a lot of work
0: no i'll show you how to it's do the it. week
2: cool. it's the weekend who is the guy that worked at hasbro jeff i love jeff um do you remember Jeff's skinny guy, Jeff, with the mustache? Yeah, yeah I can see him with the mustache. So, there was a, at Hasbro, there was a guy who worked with Mark Boudreaux, and his name was Jeff. And I wish I could remember Jeff's name. He unfortunately passed away, uh, unfortunately, in an accident. Uh, but Jeff was the most amazing uh, kit basher I've ever met in my life. And it was, to me, who's not really good with his hands, Jeff could sit in on a meeting and you could say something, and this actually happens, it's not Star Wars related, but it's Batman related. So we're having a conversation about Batman, and was like, well, what if Batman had this thing, and it was like a stingray, and this thing and opened up, and then this thing kind of came out, and it was a missile launcher, like, wouldn't that be cool? And like two days later, hey, that thing, so here's the model, and he would just build it, and it would like open up, and it was made out of styrofoam, and it was made out of whatever he found lying around. And some of the people at Hasbro had the ability to make things that was magical. And I think Mark Brederow designed that six-wing TIE fighter. I think it's called the TIE... Um, Ken, you would know the six-wing TIE fighter, the three-wing TIE fighter. Um, the one sorry, that was supposed
1: fight. to be de- um, designed by Throne and... Yeah, yeah. So
2: Mark Mark designed that at Hasbro when we were there. And it was just one of these... Like Mark just comes up with stuff. And, so, and we would sell, not sell it, but we would work with Lucasfilm and regularly present the ideas to them and when we presented something they always kept them. So Mark came up with this tri-wing, but he also came up with like a whole bunch of other things. So so you have Peter, you have people like um like uh, uh, the production designers for Star Wars who just use their hands like I do to design stuff. Mark and Jeff would just make it and they would make it it would take them longer, but their ideas are usually better than what we would draw uh, or at least equal to what we would draw. But because it was physical and the things opened up and the doors opened up and it was always actually figure sized, It was just amazing. And a lot of like what you determine, like, is this toy going to be any fun? In a drawing, it's different than actually having it. So you would have this like scale model and you would think, yeah, this is really cool. You, know, you move it around
0: and you look at all the angles and stuff. That stuff was magic. I mean, it was just absolutely magical. But isn't it kind of awesome though that like, if you fast forward to the fact that those like uh, Robert Rodriguez was using toy action figures to frame yeah. out the <laughs> Mandalorian episodes, like it's art imitating life and vice versa. It's just like, can you? It's I a circle aim, of life. It is. It's a circle of life. Absolutely.
1: And that's another theme I think that has stuck with Star Wars throughout this. This idea of play, this idea of creativity, this idea of, of fun. Even though it's about battles and fighting and wars and, and trade routes and politics, there's a
2: whole lot of fun involved in it as well. I would say that we're not going to talk about my hatred of The Last Jedi, but I will say that one of the things I was most disappointed by was the design aspects of it because i look forward to every star wars film to see what are the new spaceships uh what are we going to see this time like even when we saw rogue one i mean yeah rogue rogue one we go back in time between two films that we already know and they still said you know we can still throw some stuff in here here's the u wing and here's like the 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 um, death troopers tie fighters you, and the, the, the lander yeah, they, all this new stuff that's with, within a very small time frame of time, and you just didn't see it, right? So I think part of, you know, what I fell apart, you know, when I started to fall apart with The Last Jedi was the walkers and all these things. And even with The Force Awakens, where's all the new stuff? Like, why did we go back to the, the X-Wings that were so similar to the other X-Wings? The TIE Fighters look very, very similar. And yeah, they're very cool, and everybody loves X-Wings and TIE Fighters. But I think that's where you want to see some of the old thinking behind Star Wars, and where I actually think that the Mandalorian went further, even though they didn't really invent anything besides the, the Razor Crest. They showed TIE Fighters in a way that I've never seen a TIE Fighter shown with those folding wings when they land. That's cool. And I think that's the, 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 that kind of mentality, because you started designing Star Wars is always about cool stories you know heroes lasers and cool ass looking stuff you know and I think that's where the new films didn't follow in that tradition really where the sequels or the prequels really created a whole different language of cool stuff but it was all cool stuff and I think the Mandalorian went back to that history of well let's explore what's out there that people haven't seen and, and you guys know that the, the the stormtrooper transport was designed at hasbro that was a toy yep as and they put it into the show so this whole used universe thing I, i'm trying to wrap the whole thing together the used universe thing uh is really well done in *The mandalorian but not well done in the sequels of which i like some of those films but that's where we're seeing Star Wars now with Filoni and Favreau, they seem to understand, you know, the quote unquote fan service that we want. And part of the fan service that I want is, I want to see just cool, cool tech that I want to buy as model kits.
0: Yeah, see, maybe I'm a little bit different on this one because I feel like part of the reason why in the sequels, they didn't do any of what you're suggesting, which is like kind of further out design was just this, It was a different time in the Star Wars history, right? So it's sort of, I mean, they were trying to play on the whole like Art Deco style of, you know, Mm -hmm. like humanity, which was far more ornate versus going to more industrial age, uh, you know, Bauhausian brick boxy kind of design. So like that made sense from a timeline perspective. It wasn't as far into the future. Maybe there was a little bit different mindset in terms of like budgeting, that they wouldn't want to go so far out and just get rid of an entire spaceship force. Like, let's just kind of tweak the ones that we got. And for like the Mandalorian, I think what they do though is just more nuanced. So like they can introduce things that we didn't, that are new, that were still there. Like, and I think the best one is like the first episode of season two where they had the giant like sand monster and mm-hmm. they basically created a monster based on just a skeleton from this one scene yeah, of cool. New Hope and that, and still make it fit right into the universe, like legitimately. And that, that to me was way cooler than any like new spaceship.
2: Well, and then you go back to watch the original movie and now you know what that thing looked like before. It was a skeleton, you know, which is kind of how it, the lore adds to everything in a circle. And that, that's when you do it the right way. That's why I think that the Mandalorian is doing it the right way, because the Mandalorian actually has taken it further. Five years later than the Last Jedi, than the Return of the Jedi, than the sequels did. You know, and I think the sequels is a very practical reason. Here, I don't know how many years since the first Star, the, the last Star Wars movie came out. We have to remind a whole new generation of people how cool this is. Right, so let's introduce the Star. Let's in, reintroduce the X-Wings. Let's reintroduce the Tie Fighters. Yes. I think that was a decision made from a practical, non-Star Wars story point of view. I think it was a, a business decision. How do we bring these kids back in? So how do we learn about X-Wings? Well, let's show a new X-Wing, and then they'll go back and see the the ties between the you know a new Hope X-Wing and you know but Poe Dameron's X-Wing. Whereas the the prequels already have those fans. And they said, just in Lucas's idea anyway, was always do something new anyway, uh, and created entirely new things. And I think of the design, like I love X Wings, I love TIE fighters, but the Naboo fighter is beautiful. I mean, it really is gorgeous. Like a stingray design, you know, with polished, you know, uh, pieces and yellow. I mean, it's yellow, it's bright yellow. Who would have thought that? But it looks really cool. And I I, I don't know, I, I just, I know we're not supposed to talk about negative things, but I think from a design point of view, I would have definitely kept pushing the boundary, even if you reestablish in A Force Awakens. Okay, well, there are x wings and they're TIE fighters and they're a little more advanced and here's a Star Destroyer. And it's like the Star Destroyer, you know, but a little different, it's flatter. Well, then push push it in the next two films. Now, keep pushing that thing. in the next two and they did create the third film was a tie dart, I think it's called it I figure what it's called, TIE Defender, Tie Dart, which is a new kind of TIE Fighter. But I was always surprised in the sequels how restrained they were from the used universe part of it. You know? Because even if you go back to uh um, what's the um my god, I forget the name right now, the, the casino planet. Um, bite Canto bite, canto bite looks like a regular Earth <laughs> It doesn't have a lot of the fantastical stuff you saw, like, for example, in uh, the Bespin, you know, you got giant city sticking, you know, it's on a stick. It's like a lollipop city. You know, you have a whole bunch of different designs for cities, but Canto Bight is just a place. It could be Monaco. And I thought that's a real lack of imagination for the used universe stuff.
1: Well, one thing that I, to, to, to continue with this idea of one thing that's stuck with it throughout is that delicate balance of, of pure fantasy, like Cloud City. I mean, we don't have right now in 2021 a city that floats. Um, so there's that. What's what's wild and out there and what's also grounded in something that we recognize. So, so we look at A New Hope, there's a scene in a cantina. That cantina could have been a Western bar or it could have been... Uh, a a space age bar that was in, in Blade Runner, you know, so it's something that we recognize. So there's that, that balance of, of fantasy and recognizable that, that we can say makes sense. And there are some of those, those shots, some of those ideas that have also been consistent. So you've got the cantina in a new hope, you've got Mm -hmm. the, the outlander club in um attack of the clones you've got the 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 bar in the mandalorian so there are there are some of these things that that stay consistent and and well like, like i said attempting to balance fantasy newness with something that we
2: recognize and, and are familiar with but when you look at so you know as a, i've done set design and when you look at for, for television, when you look at those sort of set pieces, like the bars, so you look at the cantina, you look at the, you know, Solo had a bar piece, and you look at um, all those elements that you're trying to, you know, you're trying to show that this is a place where people drink and get together and, and kind of have camaraderie. So you have a lot of the typical things. You have tables, you have booths, you have a, a bar area, usually it's it's half circular, uh, and someone behind it, and then behind them, you have, you know, whatever it is that they grabbing and reach. So you have those elements that are familiar, but at the same time, in Star Wars, you have, even in the cantina, if I remember correctly, you have like IG-88 heads. You know, you have very mm-hmm. Star Wars looking elements to even the simplest of designs. So a lot of the tables have like, you know, they're, they're and I know people now design tables with, with lights, but back then, you know, in the real world, you didn't have tables that lit up. Um, you have all these kind of elements inside, even the cantina where you have this when you walk down the steps, you have a very old looking building. It looks like it's somewhere out of the Middle East, but right next to the entrance, it's this gray box with a black glass with a red light going back and forth. Like what the hell is that? You know, you have all these added elements that are sort of, you know, these sort of accoutrements that are added to make it look sort of futuristic, which is always funny because as a designer, I used to throw those in too. I remember designing sets or like make it look like Star Wars. Okay, so you add here's a stucco building and here's like some box. that does something. know, yeah, maybe it's the air conditioner unit. But in Star Wars, if you look at it, part of the charm of it is that it looks realistic. And at the same time, it's completely befuddling what these things are. Well, what they should do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, you
0: look, you look it at the like, control. Like, why yeah, why right? is this thing here?
1: The control panel for the Death Star is ginormous, and there's 952,000 lights and switches, but there's no labels
0: on any of them. Who knows? The well, only important there's...
2: one is the one where they pull back. You know, that's yeah. the
0: one. But still, then, you, then you'll then you have someone turn something and goes do And you're like, oh, man, I know something's turning down, because yeah. I recognize that. Yeah, sound. you know something's
2: yeah. not yeah. as powerful. Or as this
0: handle can... that goes do yeah. Oh, he just moved the handle from up to down. Of course he set something off. And...
1: Man, so you mentioned the, the, the sound effects. That's another brilliant thing that has stayed consistent. So you can close your eyes, and if an X-Wing flies across the screen, you know it's an X-Wing exactly because of the way it, it sounds.
2: Is. Oh, yeah.
1: And Just so the, the last you know, episode ben,
2: of The Mandalorian, I'm like, oh, listening to Luke Skywalker's yeah. X-Wing.
1: Sports. So so Ben Burtt and the sound design has been another one of those magical things, one of the magical forces behind Star Wars that has stayed consistent um, that ties a lot of stuff together. And there are, there are some sounds that people absolutely, positively lose their minds over. So whether it's the lighting of a lightsaber gets people really excited. Something's about to happen. And like for me personally, I really, I don't know what it is, but I really enjoy the sound of the, the seismic charge from Slave One.
0: Oh my God, you totally read my mind. Yeah, that like concussive, it's like yes. a, like a pound on a bass guitar. Like a pow,
1: I just a love silence. that sound. I don't know why, I don't but know, it, same. It just,
0: the, the sound of it brings like me
2: delightful. joy. <laughs> is there a story, Ken, behind the sound of the typewriter? Because who in the, that doesn't have any equivalent in any other ship ever designed, ever.
1: You know, There, that there is a history sound. behind it, but I haven't committed that to memory yet. And well, that's something we of should it.
2: explore because it's crazy that that works. And part of it, I mean, Ben
1: Burt, so George Lucas needed sounds for his movies and picked Ben Burt to do this. And Ben Burt would record all sorts of different stuff. He would record animals, he would record um, washing machines, he would record fans, he would record other people. So, for instance, that, that famous cough of General Grievous that's George mm-hmm. Lucas's cough when he had bronchitis. <laughs> I never knew that. Yeah, so he would record all sorts of stuff, mix it together, and it would end up on screen.
2: But that TIE Fighter sound is so unprecedented when you think about it. It is unprecedented. And it doesn't even make sense. And yet it's the coolest sound effect. And then in Empire Strikes Back, when the one hits the asteroid and it starts spinning. So there's two versions of that. You always remember, you know, that kind of noise, but you always remember. The other part of it, which is when it gets hit by the asteroid, it's like, <laughs> you know, that's the sound plays is a huge part of, of, of those things too. And I think that a lot of movies that try to become like Star Wars don't always realize all the elements. It's not like a perfect storm. You know, you need a huge universe. You need the sound effects. You need, obviously, the story and the design. Uh, you know, you need very good special effects, but you also need the pacing. It's just all these things coming in all at the same time. It's very hard. To replicate
1: that I almost think that we could do at least one if not two episodes two deeper episodes on sounds related to Star Wars because totally. on, on one we've got the the sounds in Star Wars so the the TIE fighter the lasers the pew pews all that kind of stuff and then there's also the soundtrack of Star Wars mm. I mean John Williams oh, has done some yeah. amazing oh, yeah, stuff and has um helped tie all of it together. So even when John Williams isn't doing the the music, like for instance, I think his name is Kevin Kiner, was doing some of the music for Star Wars Rebels and Star Wars Clone Wars, they would take some of John, he would take some of John Williams' themes, modify them a little bit, so you recognize them. And there was also a newness, a freshness to it. So I really think we could explore sound and music um, in in Star Wars, that's a huge, driving force behind Star Wars success?
2: Was Star Wars the IP that gave individual people their own themes? Because I I, I know people are starting to do that now, but I, you know, Star Wars character music has become so important that when surprises are revealed in Star Wars, people listen to see if that music has anything to do with that character. Like, for example, Rey, when Rey was introduced, she had two elements that told you who she was. The music that went back to Palpatine, and she has a move that's only ever seen Palpatine ever did it. The lightsaber, like, ah, that's that And at the time, people were saying, well, here's the music, and here's that move. Clearly, she's a Palpatine. And everyone's like, ah, that's nuts. She's clearly a Skywalker or a Solo. But then you go back, and you're like, yeah, it's a Palpatine, because this was always like J.J.'s story anyway, but that was revealed in music, and then in The Mandalorian, and the episode in the second season, when they go back to um, uh, the Imperial base, and they see the Snoke's in a jar, the only reason, but first of all, it looks like Snoke, but then it's actually Snoke's theme is played during that scene, so you're like, whoa, there's Snoke's theme. I don't know of any other movies or properties or entertainment that had individual themes for people
0: well and I mean, that's a level of subtlety it. that's yeah. just like like i never caught that now i want to go back and see both of those things like wait what you're just like yeah, oh, there's, there's, there's a whole new thing the to
1: yeah there are all tons the of examples like that so so even the in the rise of skywalker when and i, I we probably should have said this at the beginning of the episodes and i apologize for not doing it there's gonna be spoilers here. So if you haven't watched all these Star Wars things, um, I apologize. Shame on you. We're gonna we're gonna tell you all sorts <laughs> of stuff. So in Rise of Skywalker January seventh. When, yeah, when when Luke raises the X-Wing out of the water, you hear Yoda's theme because Yoda is the one who originally raised the, the X-Wing out of the swamp of Dagobah. So so the, the, the makers of Star Wars are attentive to what you see on the screen and what
2: you hear so it's that scene when he raised the the, the x-wing out of the dig swamp was the only time they ever reused a piece of music exactly in star wars and it was reused when luke lifted the x-wing and rise of skywalker to show that he had learned and mastered the same what? thing the, the jo- yeah what? it's actually there's a whole there's a whole story about it jesus you're making of in the dvd it's the only time they reused the piece of music exactly as it was written and in fact they used the original uh, composition music, and re-recorded it. Yeah, and it was supposed to exemplify. He even he's that? at the same level. Uh, I think that's in the making of DVD or digital. Who still. I don't know if DVDs? it's on the Disney Plus. Well, I buy <laughs> all the extra the stuff. I know that I, it, it's in the making of, so it's probably on a yeah. Disney Plus a special. Plus.
1: And at this point, you could probably find it out there on the on Absolutely. the interwebs. Wonderful
0: YouTubes of the world.
2: Yeah. No, but once you listen to that stuff, the, the scenes have intention. So if Ray's fighting Kylo Ren, you will hear both of their themes, and then you'll hear them come together. Yeah. Um, and I think that's sort of where Star Wars music is always a level above most music, because you hear this bombastic, like I just watched Wonder Woman, which I hated, and in that movie, they kind of attempt to do that, but sort of fail because they haven't set up what these things mean. And in Star Wars, there's such a history of, oh, that's Luke's theme, or that's the theme of the good people, or the Imperial March, or whatever it is. You have all these things, and if you sound like the Imperial March, you know it's evil. Um, but they took years and years and years to set those things up, and other movies are going try to copy that stuff. Does not work as well? I think the only one that does that, that actually works, is probably Marvel where they're starting to sort of put up these are the themes for all the characters and you will hear those themes kind of recur to themselves during the action scenes or when someone like you know Iron Man died another spoiler uh, you'll hear like the same song but in a different uh, key and it's a little it's a much more sadder and
1: well it's interesting I yeah, love you you the the idea, idea of this sound is is evil because in a Phantom Menace at the the end of the Phantom Menace, or a Phantom Menace that that little parade scene where they were celebrating on on yeah, yeah. Um if you listen to that, there's actually um, children's voices singing the like the the, the imperial the, the imperial march. So it's 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 childlike, what? but w- when you really listen to it, what? it's one of the it's one of the evil songs. It's, so so they do these wonderful things, and once again, it's the attention to what you see. You guys are blowing my mind right now. And
2: what so you, the music is the Phantom Menace; it was there the whole time.
0: So but th- how I think much that's... of the stuff do you think was planned? Like when George Lucas set it. out, it couldn't have been. Oh. There's no way he thought, Not from the I'm going to create these very specific songs well, and here's... then we'll follow no. each one.
1: This is one thing I definitely want to make sure that that, that, our, that we talk a lot about throughout our shows and our listeners get to appreciate, is this idea of the amount of collaboration that was necessary for any of this. So yes, you could say that this all came from George Lucas yes he sat down and put pencil to paper and and wrote out these stories and everything however he's not the one who sat down at a desk putting the notes on the page he wasn't the the performer who played the notes with the oboe he didn't he didn't nail a nail he didn't paint a single stroke on 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 a set or or sew a single stitch on a costume he was simply the, the original maker and told a story to someone and they created something, told a story to someone else and they created something. So the, the amount of collaboration that was necessary to get that stuff on the screen is amazing. Absolutely amazing.
2: It, it's sort of like the movie Xanadu where you have this guy who has, which is one of my favorite movies. I'm not ashamed of Bennett, um, who is a struggling artist because he doesn't have a muse. And once Olivia Newton John comes and enters his world, she becomes his muse. But in a sense, all these designers who have such great ideas for all the Star Wars, you know, the sound effects, the music, the dresses, the outfits, the the spaceships, they needed that muse in order to get them started. And it's sort of like they have the permission to even bring these things into the world. Like where else would you even use this stuff? Um, and I think that's where the forces behind star wars podcast really gets its inspiration from is what driving force created star wars and how do we you know i don't want to say worship it but how do we um sort of talk about it because it is interesting like Mitch was saying like the music is its own story like how many people know that not a lot of people i didn't know it until very recently and there's probably a whole bunch of other stuff that i don't know about uh, I know that we, we watch the making of The Mandalorian. You see the volume, um, the new technology that they have, and uh, you start, you're amazed. So where did that technology come from? How did it, why is it better than green screen? You know, all those things are, mm-hmm. it really, how did Favreau come up with the idea, and which, you know, comes from the world of video games? Um, those are the things that I think this podcast focuses on uh, and at the same time, Meech and I will tell terrible jokes and Ken will educate us.
1: And it's from that place of appreciation. This is going to sound silly and I'm going to put Except it for the out Last there. Jedi. I'm going to put it out there for the university. I would love for one of those makers to hear our show and know how much we appreciate what they've done for, for the movie, for, for the, the world. And for us as, as, as fans. So there's, so, you know, originally when we got together and put together the, the Thank the Makers, it was about thanking. And I, I really wanna make sure that, that one of our themes that sticks throughout all this is the appreciation for what folks have done, whether it was sitting down and, you know, typing out a story or sitting down and, you know, playing a violin, just the amount of appreciation that we have for the effort and energy that they put in to this incredible universe.
2: Star Wars is odd in that if you get anything into Star Wars, it becomes almost like an Academy Award. So, you know, we have friends that design this and I, you know, I, and am just using an example because I, I want to talk about it later. Um, I designed this part of this, you know, I designed the dice for Han Solo's dice. That's like a badge of honor. Hey, you did that, man. You made it. Like you did it. So that's, you know, there's very few universes. Like if I said, I designed you know, Wonder Woman's, like, you know, ankle base. like, cool. <laughs> Yay. But, you know, if you put something in Star Wars, it becomes like, oh, right. my it's God, like, dude. Like, like I know you're for drinks.
0: Yeah, it's yeah. I mean,
2: it's the Super. Yeah, you're right.
1: And people will take screenshots of it and figure out how to 3D render it and, and print it out so that they can cosplay it at some convention somewhere. That or have it as a display piece in the room.
2: And Demetrius, when you go to Star Wars Celebration next year, all of us, um, because I am already booking my hotel, by the way. Um, You will be amazed. But yeah, you live there, that's right. You will be, wait, what? Um, Hold on, I'll talk about that later. You will be amazed how much work people put into costumes for a character that's in the background of a scene. It's a perfect costume, and everyone knows who it is, even though that person is maybe in the movie for two seconds. And
1: I think that's, it's funny that you bring that up, Anthony, because I think that's another thing that has been consistent throughout all of Star Wars is that everybody matters. Everybody, Everybody, yeah. everybody has a backstory. Everybody has a home planet. Everybody has some sort of meaning impact. Every last and impact. group right. person. Even to the point where now in The Mandalorian, you've got two super fans like Jon Favreau and, and Dave Filoni, who are bringing some of these what used to be background characters or characters that were dismissed, like the Tuscan Raiders, and now bring them to the front of the screen and make them important and make them meaningful and make people want to understand them a little bit more clearly, even though they may have been on the screen for moments before, now they're, they're involved
0: in an entire episode.
2: Make Cobra hide them right so now they're like Or not they the bad guys well, well they're just misunderstood but how much of that like, do you
0: think f- is because and again I, I love watching gallery because it talks about like they well, i mean interviewing each of the people that got to direct it and these are now people that are like our age and they grew up with star wars and so as super fans they like get immersed and want to continue bringing this life together so what i'm going with this is like how much of this digging further into characters that we grew up with is because we are mature enough now to want to know more about them. Right? Like it's like, for me, it's, it's always been part my of favorite it. action figure as a little kid was Hammerhead. He was in the movie for like yep. a second. If they had a whole yep. episode on Hammerhead, I would lose my mind. <laughs> well, florians I think that, I think it's always been there.
2: I mean, I think part of it is Tim Effler and you know, those guys saying, Hey, this is kind of a neat-looking alien, and kids like aliens. And making the first action figures from back background characters, because really, I mean, that is bizarre. If you if you think about Star Wars as a kid, nineteen seventy-seven, and we're gonna make action figures. So you, we all know what what is it? Ken, uh, can the first eight action figures? Yeah, the early bird special. R two yeah, the Chewbacca R two D's, you three P S, Stormtrooper.
1: Darth Vader,
2: Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, and Leia, right? So, and then that weird-looking R2-D2 that didn't have the right, it was just a weird-looking thing. Um, So that was the first wave. Those are the ones you expect, right? But then, the second and third waves you got Snaggled, Tooth, right? Yeah, I had the Death
0: Death Star droid, right? Very short scene. The silver one, right? Yep, the silver Uh, one. You get to use the body of of C-3PO and put a different head on it.
2: Right, like, that's the first property that ever did that before. Like, usually that's it, but people, you know, like, hey, you know, the Hasbro gang, these are populists, so let's like make more. But it was the decision to make background. That's something, so I watched this episode, this TV show on Netflix called The Toys That Made Us. You guys have seen that. Oh
0: yeah, that's amazing.
2: Yeah. Uh, it is sort of amazing, because the Star Wars story only tells half the story. I mean, it really doesn't even tell half the story because we we know half the story. And the whole decision to go into these background characters is never explored, which is a really weird decision. And I would say it was a landmark decision in the design of toys to start doing that because it's never been done. And I don't think it's ever been done since. Name another character line that has ever done that before or after there aren't any. That was successful
1: or just attempted to do that?
2: To do background of- characters? To do background characters as as toys. I don't know, man. I know a lot of toys. I don't I don't know a lot of I don't know a lot of properties that you would have background characters that
0: you could make toys out of. I think they tried years and years ago when they did a Buck Rogers toy line. There were some characters that were terrible. They had nothing I had all
2: do. of those. No, I had all of those. They too. were there were the, yeah, I, they were remember by I had all of those, but.
0: There's Battlestar Galactic yeah, Toys. Well, G.I. Yeah, yeah, Joe and He-Man,
2: they, they use a, some background characters. Well, no, G.I. Joe and He-Man are specific hero characters, though. We're talking people that are literally in the background. Oh, okay. Got gotcha. Right? Like, I don't think anyone's ever done it since or before, you know? And, and I think that's what makes Star Wars unique is that they created a, a rich universe. And I don't know where, like, did it start when. Hasbro created this hammerhead, and someone said, "Hey, we got to write something about this thing. You know, we yeah. want to give it a name and some sort of story."
1: And well, I think then part of it was Everything they were given—they were given—I don't know if they were movies, like uh, production stills or whatever—and people just had to look. Well, maybe this guy will be important because they, at the time, I don't think they had the stories for any of these. Right, people. they probably didn't even know what was coming
0: out in the next. Yeah, so movies. they just were
1: given like these pictures and like, okay, we got to make this guy with a
2: looks like a bat boy and this one over here prune face so we will have so i, I will get him steve bono from hasbro beach you know him oh yeah i will get steve bono on one of the podcasts and we're gonna have a podcast devoted to toys and i think this should be like an all-star podcast because i mark is still on he's still alive i just looked him um, up on linkedin he's still alive and he's still at hasbro he which is amazing he's a director now i think um design director we should get some of these guys to start talking about this stuff we'll get kevin mauer we'll get all these
0: guys back in but i get steve, steve gettis steve gettis who was the sculptor of the original tauntaun he sculpted the original alien back in 1980. that oh, was the best toy there. such a cool toy the baby i used to scare my sister out
2: of her goddamn mind. you ever think about when you got rid of your toys like what was the day because i had the aliens when i scared the shit out of my sister all the time you know because it was like this big it was like 18 inches but there was a day that that toy was no longer as cool as it was or maybe it was and I just moved out to go to college and then she stole my mother, threw it away. But we don't think about like when we get rid of our favorite stuff and then we want it years later. But what the hell happened to all our Star Wars toys? We were just too
0: cool and then we put it away. And I kept them. I mother... still have every single one of my original Star Wars toys from when I was little.
2: I hate you.
0: Well, no, we didn't have that many. My parents were grad students and then didn't have you know started early in their career so we were pretty frugal and i didn't get a lot um but i have every single item that i had it's all yeah i still love looking at them i've got got a picture we couldn't get the big spaceships right like i wanted the big millennium falcon and all that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff so my mom would buy me the little ones they had these little die cast ones yeah. And the coolest one. They're cool is the too. Imperial Star Destroyer with a little door underneath, and the Tantive v 4 is right under uh. there. Still have it. That's the authenticity that you seek.
2: Totally. So that's the other <laughs> thing, Ken. It's like the lived in universe ex- extends into every character mattering in, uh, in, in the story and then for the fans. You know, I think the, the guy from uh, Kim's Convenience. Bitter Asian dude. He calls himself on Twitter. Uh, his name is Carson Teva in Star Wars. Within, I mean, minutes of me watching the episode, and I woke up like at five a.m. to watch it. Someone put up a wiki page, you know, and it didn't have much information, but it had what they can glean from it. And then when the character showed up again in the next episode, then they added that to it. You know, it's just funny. Like it's it's not only is it cool, but people die to be the first one to kind of put the text in to figure yeah. out who that character is. Well, Will Rowe
1: Hood is another
2: wonderful example. You know, Will Rowe
1: Hood's the guy who was running out of Bespin with the Cam Tono under his arm. Yeah. Except except then it wasn't called the Cam Tono. It was just an ice cream maker. And now people dress up like him at conventions, put on a fake mustache, and at a certain (laughs) time of the day, they all run around with their ice cream makers. It's the running of the Will Rowe Hoods.
2: I think what you're saying and what Mies is understanding are probably two different things. So let me put the picture in your... I have a video of this, Mies. I can film it too, but you can find me probably find on YouTube. This is just Imagine. Ima- so this guy in the movie in, in Empire Strikes Back is like, the you know, everyone's told to evacuate and this guy is just, he, he appears on the screen for maybe a second and a half. Most. But he's carrying what looks like some piece of Star Wars tech, but it's actually an ice cream maker in real life. For whatever reason, What's you know, the engine. Wilrow Hood. Yeah. So, for whatever reason, they, the Star Wars community decided, well, this is a guy that matters. So, at the conventions, (laughs) at the conventions, at the Chicago convention the year before, my son and I went there, and as we walked in for the first time, we were a little bit late, they were having, what do they call the run, the ice cream? The running, yeah, the running, right? So, there were, I would guess... (laughs) Maybe 200 people dressed in that outfit, and they all would just run. Right With the ice cream maker,
0: guys, I'm looking With at pictures all... right now. It's just too much. Just, but I think wow. that
2: what surprised you was how many people are doing it. It was like 200 people. So that's something that you don't see in a lot of properties either. I mean, Star Wars is a is a universe, not just in the, in, the, in the, what you see and you read, but it's also in how we sort of role play in it. You know, because this year I'm excited. I know that the, the, you know Ken is part of a costuming group. I am not, I would like to be, it is hard, but I am doing it for 2022. I'm actually gonna find an outfit. I'm gonna goddamn show up in an outfit for the first time. And so is my son. Um, and that's fun, you know? To me, I don't care how old I am. And see, that that's another theme I think that has stayed with it is that this was
1: supposed to be for kids. This was, you know, George Lucas sat down and wanted to, to, to write this up. And says who? Teach, says George. Wanted this to be for kids. And I think it's, it's very similar to what Walt Disney wanted to do. So even though George's demographic was children, he knew that they weren't going to necessarily be able to go to the theater by themselves. So he created something that the kids couldn't appreciate as well as the parents could appreciate. And now as a, as a 45-year-old adult child, I can appreciate it from both that child side of wanting the toys and swinging cardboard tubes around like lightsabers and uh, enjoying the depth of the story that you see on screen
0: there are very few things that
2: can keep you what is the difference between you being an adult and you being a child right part of it is that obviously your responsibility level or thinking about well it's about responsibility right <laughs> so it's like, i have stuff to do but it's also about the future. So when you're a kid, everything's ahead of you. When you're an adult, everything is behind you to some extent, right? And you have some ahead of you, but you have mostly behind you. And there's very few things that you can think about where you start picturing yourself as a hero because that's just not, you know who you are. You're not gonna be a hero. You've lived your life to some extent, but as a kid, I could be anything I want. And I think Star Wars and Marvel, maybe the superhero movies to some extent, are some of the few things, at least for me, that bring those feelings back. Like, I can tell you with unabashed, no embarrassment, you know, unabashed joy, that when I saw Luke Skywalker at the end of Mandalorian, I cried. I don't care what anybody thinks. You know, I don't care what Pablo Hidalgo thinks, making fun of people who cry and share their emotions. It was an absolutely amazing moment to me. And I, you know, people say I was a kid for a minute, and it's a phrase, and it's not real uh, most of the time. When he was on the screen, I was exactly 10 years old. And until he was off the screen, I was glued to it. I could not believe it. I was excited. I'm still excited. I've spoken to other people in their late forties, early fifties, to think that that was one of the best five moments in all cinema, but it's really TV in, in, in Star Wars history. That was a major moment that happened to adults they felt like children and they were instantly transported not in some metaphoric sense but emotionally they were completely transported with 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 no reservations of hiding their feelings
0: yeah no that's and exactly I how think, i felt at yeah. the end of uh, rogue one when we saw leia and darth vader i just lost my mind i was like you gotta be kidding me it was, i was instantly transported to being a child it was great Ken, why does Rogue One not
2: get the credit it deserves? Because everybody says it's one of the best Star Wars films. But you don't hear about it a lot.
1: That's a great question that I definitely don't have an answer for.
0: Well, we will talk about that when we get to Rogue One as our movie. (laughs) I think tonight, though, we've talked about all sorts of stuff. We've got toys that are themes that could come about. Mm. There's sound that are themes that can come up. There's, you know, these books and spin-offs, which are themed and we've got so many topics that i think we'll get into in 2021 so we talk about the forces behind them which i'm i personally couldn't be more excited to start the new year
2: yeah and we didn't talk about the books but we'll talk about the you know the, the the dawn of the new age of the jedi star wars the high republic um which we'll talk about at some point but i started reading and if you like star wars books if you like books buy this book it is fantastic it is really really good and it ushers in an entirely new era which lived in universe an era that is closer to what you see in Naboo than what you see on that Tatooine so it'll be really 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 interesting to see how they visually flesh these out when they go to um, well the comics already have and there's a lot of talk about already the design of the comics so there's a these Sort of vectors, which are like their versions of the Jedi fighters, and there's these long bows, which are like their versions of really something completely new. Um, but the way that they describe it in the book, uh, you know, for example, they describe what the Jedi vectors are, which are basically Jedi fighters. It's unlike anything that's ever been seen in Star Wars before. You know, I actually liken it. There was a movie called. Um, uh, uh, Flight of the Navigator. You guys remember that movie? Yes, and, I do.
0: Right,
2: they're actually remaking Disney's remaking that movie. It's a great movie. My kids watched it last year. They both loved it, it's 12-year-olds. But th- the Jedi vectors are more like that ship. It's a very different kind of look and aesthetic. And I'm very excited to see what it's going to look like because it is brand new to the Star Wars universe. Visually, it's something that's going to be very new. And they do such a good job. Charles Soule does just a good job describing visual things, which. It's a, it's a great skill to have.
1: I can imagine Doug Chang getting involved in the the, the, the visual of, of some of that stuff. He better, he better.
2: So Ken, this is our new podcast. The same as the old podcast, but new.
1: And we get to explore lots of those magical forces behind Star Wars. So from one super fan to all the rest of the super fans, thanks for listening to us, and may the force be with you always and
2: with you thank you guys see you guys